Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company, all right? We're a movement of everyday folks like you and me who are letting beauty break through the noise so it can transform our culture from the inside out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm so pumped you're here. What's up, everybody? You're listening to Season 4, Episode 16 of the Love Good Podcast. And I did drop a little hint about this last week, but I'm super, super excited to be sitting down yet again with Jason Craig. Okay, Jason joined us this past summer. We did a four- or five-week bonus series where basically he and I just chatted through our favorite moments in the greatest book ever written, like other than the Bible. And that's, of course, G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy. If you didn't go listen to that series, if you haven't plowed through or even gotten your own copy of Orthodoxy, the Love Good Exclusive Edition, just go do yourself a favor. Head over to lovegoodculture.com, click on the podcast, listen to that series, click on the, the store and buy yourself a copy of that book. But today, Jason and I somehow avoided the temptation to talk about Chesterton, and we mostly just talked about him. We talked about Jason's life as a writer, as a farmer, as a father, as also someone who's heavily involved in a lot of great apostolates in the life of the church. And one of the reasons that we have been holding on to this conversation for so long is so that we could release it just in time for Reclaim Fatherhood, which you're going to hear more about a little bit later on, but that's the big workshop that we're doing for men all over the world, all over the country this Thursday. Okay, we've been definitely getting the word out about this over the last couple of weeks. And if you have not yet registered, it's only $15. Okay, $15 for full and forever access to this two-hour workshop with Jason and I and hundreds, possibly thousands of other great men all over the country. All the details for that are reclaimfatherhood.com, but I'll tell you more about that at the end of the show. For now, hang tight. In just a moment, I'll be back with Jason Craig. Until then, enjoy this little excerpt of Get Together. This is track two from the brand new EP by Kevin Hyder called Make an Honest Stand. But don't worry, honey, I don't really want to rule. I'd never run. I'm a monkey, not a fool. And I would rather get together and listen to some records like they did way back when. People sell records, honey, I won't pretend that I've got all the answers. Ooh, why don't we get together and have a conversation like they did way back when? People like conversations and I won't pretend that I've got all the answers. Because I don't. Jason Craig, it's not your first time on the Love Good Podcast. It's not your first time in this studio, but I finally have the privilege of getting to drill you with the toughest uh, questions you've ever been drilled with in your life. Are they all, they're already all correct. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome back. Thank you, Jimmy. It's been a few months, and I'm kind of glad that we're not looking through orthodoxy right now because, <laughs> whoa, you know, 
your head starts to spin after a little while. Yeah. But what an incredible journey that was getting to even just go through the first half of one of my favorite books of all time. Right. Is it in your top five, top 10? Well, it's got to be. I mean, if you're a fan of Chesterton, it's where he draws all sorts of other. Yeah. You know, you always come back to that eventually. You know how Chesterton was, you know, big. <laughs> but so was like his. Like me. So was his corpus of writing. Is, yeah. Is that how you say yeah. that word? Yeah. And so one of the things that often gets missed, you know, I mean, not, not his size, obviously, but the. <laughs> enough fat jokes <laughs> <laughs> but the vastness of his writings right so the guy wrote so much that like even his cause for canonization has been constantly delayed because there's just so much to yeah. double check and yeah. make sure isn't heretical and and so with that actually comes the, the danger i think of just sort of missing the whole thing right you know because there was so much to catch Right, And so you see where like C.S. Lewis has always been more popular, at least in modern times, because, well, he wrote quite a bit less, actually, and had a little bit of a way of distilling things down, simplifying them. <laughs> Often like radio addresses first, then right. books came second. Right. But I've never read anything in Lewis that I didn't first read in Chesterton. Right. I think both of us can probably say that we've never had an original idea ourselves. Everything that's ever come out of our mouths sort of originated in Chesterton or Lewis <laughs> or Benedict Stolen. or... Belloc or many of our great influences. Yeah, they inspired my. It was reading their <clears throat> writings on distributism. That's why we're yes homesteading or farming now. So, so let's jump into it. Like I would love to hear where these influences began in your life, you okay. know, and what that journey looked like. Yeah, it could be a bit of an intellectual and a vocational, and even a, a spiritual journey. You know, like that whole metanoia, that whole conversion Big that words. led you into the church, you know, right. which is great. But we caught a little bit of that a few months ago. Who are the day-to-day -day influences even here and now that are shaping who you are, shaping the family that you're raising, the work mm. that you do that's as much intellectual as it is agricultural? There's a lot of questions I could ask all at once, but I don't right. want to overwhelm you. No, you already did. Here we go. What you got? No, I mean, you already overwhelmed me. I, I do this a lot. <laughs> this is actually like a real issue in the podcast. I I, I asked like three questions yeah, in you did. one. And Would you like me to answer one of them? Kind of big. Yeah. What you got? Because you gave me a question. That's the kind of question when you're, when you're in an interview, which is, you're just going to start talking yeah. and we're going to act like you answered my question, but we're all just talking here. Let's hear um, But, uh, <laughs> okay, let's go back. You asked sort of, maybe where are we connecting? Influences. The influences, how we got to, you know, I... I'm a farmer and a writer yeah. and a father, not necessarily in that order. Well, we have a common apostolate that we've been a part of, Fraternus. And I encountered the idea of sort of agrarianism when I was at the Augustine Institute back when they were before formed.org. They were just a school and they were like meeting in this old convent. It was real kind of rustic and I cool. Think I visited uh, when you were out there. Yeah. Remember that? You did. Yeah. You did. It was kind of a scrappy grad school mm. at the time, but I was studying Jared Stout, mm -hmm. who's still with them, teaching some classes and doing a lot of other things in the Diocese of Denver and things. Dr. Jared Stout, he kind of began introducing me to some of their writings. And I was always reading it in the context of my work with Fraternus, which was, you know, we're trying to inspire men to be good fathers, mentors, brothers. And it always raises the question of why do we have to do this? Mm. You know, what? why is the demographic of masculine, the demographic of men, masculinity, boys, why is it so difficult? Why is there such a, you know, we call it the man crisis. Like, why is there a crisis? And we can talk, oh, then, you know, formation, spirits of this and that, blah, blah, blah. But there's an obvious just historic reality that Chesterton and Hellar Belloc and other writers saw as they're dislodging from their place in their land. Mm. And just when it comes to the formation of boys, when we lost our work, mm. 
we lost the means of transmitting masculinity. That was, in mm. a sense, our way of initiating our boys into the ways of men. We lost that by not being on a farm. Hmm. And I felt that in, we're, in a, we're in an apartment in Denver, and you know I'm, I'm having kids, and I'm doing work. It's mostly on a computer, and it's abstracted from our life. Yeah. And we're reading sort of these defenses, or if they're not, they're not defenses in the sense of, you should come be a farmer. But it's clearly something that happened to men is that we no longer have the work to share with our sons. We're disconnected from each other. The Industrial Revolution took men from the home, put them in factories, other works, and we've never found a way to get back home fully. Mm-hmm. And then today, many men find this, you know, the whole like work-family balance. You know, the reason we have to balance these things is because they're separate, yeah. right? You can only weigh and balance the amount of water in this by... Mm. They're separate, and I've got to take a little bit more from my work so I can give it to my family, right? Or maybe I um, now we're not making enough money, so I need to take some from my family and give it to my work. And mm. we're balancing things because they're separate, right? And sometimes they're out of whack, and we right. feel it. We try to fix it, whereas the vision of the agrarian is that they're one thing, integrated, right? They're integrated, so yeah. there's only one bottle, yeah. right? I don't have to take from anything to give to anything else. Mm. But um, I, we we were reading, and I we, I can't. <laughs> You know, you could go on and on because literally it's still a passion of mine that uh, that agrarianism as a as a vision of the world yeah. is not, as most people think, that we all should be farmers. It's not what it means. It, it, that it does mean that the place you are in the land and the work that you do should be a great love and an integration of, of your place. And mm. that that's where human culture begins. It doesn't begin in the ivory tower or in some idea and then it's imposed down it's actually built upwards and until we're able to be somewhere and have an integration of things that should all be integrated mm. that we're as Wendell Berry describes it divorced yeah and that many many things he says you know the age we live in is an age of divorce not only of obviously spouses who divorce each other but divorce from things that ought not be divorced mm. work family parents children generations people get overwhelmed all the things that are divorced you know we've got our old people over here in the homes we've got our kids in daycare and the dads at work and moms at whatever at her work and then we don't we're not bound to any place so everything is divorced from everything whether or not explicitly or implicitly we're hardly bound to our own families yeah we're not bound i mean i could i could leave my wife and nobody save a couple of my crazy catholic friends would really care society wise uh, yeah, laws yeah, yeah. you know general understanding is that if my own happiness necessitated the exporting of my children and the importing of a mistress that, well, it makes me happy. Yeah, and sadly, that <laughs> happiness is defined by what? Right, you know? if, if I define it as yeah. happiness, right? Yeah. So I'm, which basically comes down to pleasure. I mean, most scandals, yeah. everything comes down to, you know, sexual pleasure. Right. Sadly, I mean, that's the, we like to give it all sorts of lofty names, but it's really, you know, I want to have sex with someone else. But the whole world doesn't connect the dots with that and their misery. Right. The yeah. emptiness. Right. The longing for more. So this looks like this grand problem. Right. And, you know, as Wendell Berry said, people ask him, well, what do we do? I mean, this age of divorce. And he says, well, put things back together that ought to be. Yeah. So. How does Cheshire define thinking? Remember? No. Connecting things. Connecting things. Right. That's wisdom. Yeah. Wisdom yeah. brings things together. Yeah. So we made the decision. We're going to go back to our home state, North Carolina, and we're going to farm. Hmm. We apparently that happens to a number of people, and I've, that that's coming up on a decade ago. I'm amazed at how many people have. I think all fathers at some point feel that impulse. Hmm. For most of them, they they contact me, and I, I have to tell them it's kind of too late because they might have five, six, seven kids and a mortgage, <clears throat> and they want to know if they can start a farm. And practically hmm. speaking, probably not. Yeah, yeah. Because land has been valued higher than it was in past generations, and it's been 
the inflation of the prices of land make it impossible economically. And agriculture is a culture that's largely disrespected, meaning most people think I could quit my job today and start a farm. Because mm. So they say, well, you're an agrarian. We can't all be farmers, in which I like to turn. Like, of course we can't, because you can't be a farmer. They mean it as we can't all be farmers because that's what dumb yokels do and anyone could do it. I say, no, we can't all be farmers because you can't. Right? Because <laughs> agriculture is a culture. You can't just... Saying, well, we could all be farmers is like, I'm going to... I'm going to go build a tree. Right. So you didn't grow up farming. How no. did you, how did you learn this? Okay. Well, I will say I had the great grace of growing up blue collar, yeah. which is the use of tools in my body and the intuition that comes from what, you know, we called in a recent issue, sword and spade manual competence mm. that you're able to work. And I think working men, if you've ever been around them, they have a way of approaching the world itself. That's And I learned that and it's a gift it's kind of that, I don't want to equate it too much with this, but the can-do attitude, that the world is intelligible and I have an intellect and through my work, mm-hmm. we're able to bring forth something. Mm. So you might see this, you, you know, what's funny is when the great equalizer of when people kind of look down on trades and crafts and, and working men, they look down on them. Although we're in the age of the coronavirus, I think they're, you know, all of a sudden <laughs> people are sitting home with the, with the, with the dunce hat of non-essential yeah. Looking with respect at those who are essential. But you see it when you see, you might see a, a banker who thinks he's very important in his suit and is moving around of large sums of money in the mechanic shop sitting. He, when two mechanics are talking, trying to figure out what's wrong with a car, he, he looks very small. Yeah. Next, and they look very big. Yeah. Right. There's so, anyway, my father taught me, you know, how to use tools. And that's a great, it was, I, I didn't realize the gift it was because a lot of people, it's kind of looked down upon. But, you know, I think a lot of us were bored in the coronavirus lockdown, not because we didn't know what to do, because we didn't know how to do anything, mm-hmm. right? If you, when you have these practical skills, farming, mechanics, all that stuff. So anyway, I grew up with that. And I've always had, and um, my father is more mechanical in his mind, but I was more organic, meaning I like things of the earth more. Mm. And I don't mean like, or, I mean, plants, soil, animals, those things. Because you're a horticulturalist. <laughs> Well, for a time, right? Yeah. Well, I did. Yeah. My, I first, when I left school, there was no way I was going to a traditional college. Yeah. So although I have a master's now, I'm much more proud of my associates in horticulture because mm. I left high school and I'm like, there's no way I'm going where everybody's going. I don't, I don't want to go on the trajectory towards the gated community because yeah. it looks like hell. So the degree in horticulture was, you know, plants, all that stuff. So those things, that was not particularly agriculture, it wasn't growing food. Um, is growing plants. It's not mm-hmm. always not all plants are food. But you just taught me I got a tree out back that you I can be. You got a mulberry from. covering yeah. fruit, and you didn't. Yeah, you got food <laughs> falling from the heavens, and you don't care. <laughs> man, the, the manna in the deserts out there, and you're one of worried about the line in the grocery store. <laughs> but we did start farming in the great and and the other big piece that many men when they have this desire to go back is the question is where's your wife on this? Because mm. my wife was down with the program, and she still is. So. We got to the land and we uh, had a little bit of money left and we blew it all on milk cows. I mean, we are literally our last bit of money. And this was like the most reckless thing we did, but it was an adventure that has turned out well. I'm not proposing it as a path because if someone were to ask me, should I do this? I would say no, <laughs> but uh, we did it <laughs> and survived. So now, but that made us stuck. We had milk yeah. cows and kids, so we can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, and we've been doing that now. We actually now have a grade A dairy, North Carolina's smallest 
grade A dairy. That's amazing. What, micro is that, dairy. what does that mean? Grade A. So grade A is a, it's, it's, you're following the government regulations of the PMO to be able to produce legally fluid milk products mm-hmm. and yogurt, which That's is cool. we make yogurt. That's cool. And is most of it just for the family right now? Do you do a lot of selling and no, distributing well, we, as well? No, we sell most of local coffee shops, mm-hmm. local stores, and then local, the local community yeah. in general. But we, yeah, we sell a little drinkable yogurt things. See, and it's interesting because there probably is at the very least an opportunity for a lot of people to do some homesteading. Right. You know, to just try to have more of what you eat come off of the land in which you live, you mm-hmm. know? And I see people like the Hannings doing that. I think they're going to eventually be probably distributing quite a bit more than they currently are, but they're just proud as a family of 12 to be feeding themselves right. with their goats, with their walnuts, with all the things that are right there possible in their four acres. Right. Know? Yeah, they do. it. I actually talked to them. I mean, they, a lot of people, they want to go from complete, like, I don't know, city life. Right to complete sustainability or self-sustain, which is stupid. Nobody is self-sustained. Yeah. We all have a great need. Even farmers have a great need for people. I don't grow my own hay, for example. I need hay. I have to purchase it from other farmers. But the the point is sustainability. people want to go from growing nothing to growing everything and yeah. like weaving their own shirts, you know, like making their own Under Armour yeah. um, shirts. <laughs> but it's sort of ridiculous because it's it's just too much. I mean, I remember when we first started, we had people like, oh, you're slaughtering a hog, but you're not making blood sausage. And, and like, okay, when was the last time you slaughtered a hog? Right? <laughs> but the point is not to grow self-sufficient that you don't need anybody. One of the best th- things to realize, though, is that the, the normal, natural state of the world is abundant. Mm. And it, there is manna in the desert, mm. right? There is this goodness in the seed that you you bury in the tomb of the soil and that it does resurrect in a plant. And you could have, Jimmy, you could plant four tomato plants back here and you will be giving away tomatoes. You won't be able to eat all your tomatoes. <laughs> and I think the abundance and the goodness and the beauty of doing that, it's good in of itself. Whether or not it makes your grocery budget better off, to have some sort of connection to the, f- to the facts and order of the universe, of the world itself, the cosmos, it's worth it. Is worth it. Mm. So, even if you're not doing it yourself, again, the agrarianism is not that everyone has to be growing their food, mm-hmm. but it's that that is the basis of society that you have to eat three times a day, and that matters. And as we and, said weeks ago, there's this lower culture right. that has to be in place before we can even dream about a higher culture. Yeah, I mean, what is, right? when you talk about what culture is, you know, Chesterton's essay on cheese. You know, going to the different towns and their different cheeses. Yeah. Right. And you know what? When you make, so we have a dairy. When you make cheese or you make yogurt, you know what you put in to make that happen? What? Culture. Yeah. Cultures right. are what they're called. Yeah. yeah. And they're particular to places. The bacteria that grew in this town and that town makes different wine, makes different cheese, all these things. And our connection to those places, cr- it, culture grows up from there. <clears throat> so whether or not it's food or maybe it's, clothing or shelter or construction or something, just having a sense of place where the world, it it makes the world not abstracted, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Where it's this, and of course it begins in food because there is nothing more humbling to humanity than realizing they would die without food. I mean, as soon as you think you're a God, just, you know, go a day without food and see how you feel, you know? Yeah. Which is the reason fasting is so wise because it reminds us and disciplines Mm -hmm. us and directs us. But I think that's the mistake of people who misunderstand what what an, an agrarian mindset is. That mm-hmm. it's 
you need to grow more tomatoes and corn yeah. and you'd be better. No, no, it's just the fact that, you know, the reason you cry out lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is because not because lambs are cute and cuddly, but because the throat of the lamb has to be slit so that you can eat it. Mm. And there's something in seeing a pig die so that you can live that makes you appreciate the bacon a lot more, right? Yeah, and I love this idea of agriculture in a sense connecting us, reconnecting us to the land in the same way that good human culture connects us with each other. To each other, right. And, and that's the means. Yeah. I mean, when we connect to each other, what do we share? Mm. What's the first thing we want to share when we want to build a culture? A meal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we start there, we'll get to the music later. And and then even beyond the music is ultimately cult, yeah. right? This right, the worship. communion with God himself. Right. But also, again, together. No one's right. saved in isolation. No, it's the, and and almost, and, and the cult of worship almost requires, there's no mass without bread and wine. There's no bread right. and wine without fruit of the earth and work of human hands. That's right. It doesn't exist. Yeah. So God has made it thus that the worship requires the land, mm. right? So we go from the ground up mm. to go to heaven, right? If we fly on the wings of, the oil of the sacraments and the and the bread and the wine of the sacraments. That's all grown. Yeah. Right? Isn't it interesting that God has made us dependent on the sacraments in a certain way? Yeah. And the sacraments are dependent on the earth, mm. which is all dependent on our work in the middle. So it's all this this integrated whole and you can't separate, but it is separated. Mm. Right. So just having a consciousness of its relation mm. makes us sane. It doesn't yeah. make us Crazy. That's what Wendell Berry's, you know, collection of poems called The Mad Farmer. Right. He's he's mad because people are destroying his place. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he he in Kentucky and coal mining and things that he so not get people might go, Well, you're against coal mining. No, no, so Wendell Berry did not like his place being polluted by the mining practices in the area, right? So he that place. But also the mad farmer that he that people think he's crazy, but it's actually the the sanest thing in the world. Mm. That's a great thing to do when you think the world's gone crazy. Yeah. Speaking of things that are great to do when the world has gone crazy, <laughs> tell us about Sword and Spade. Okay. And this would be a great way to kind of round out our conversation and land the plane today. Because this is obviously- you mean to shut me up? Is yeah. that what you said? Yep. The That's time is said. coming, believe it or not. That was my very sweet way of saying, well, yeah. How polite. It's been almost a full episode. <laughs> but I think it'd be really, really cool to get people a little more aware of Sword and Spade, which is obviously a seasonal magazine but also this really cool way to be a part of a brotherhood right. that's probably a little bit bigger than than one that most of us are used to, even right. in our home churches or in our own communities. So tell us about Sword and Spade sure. and your work on the intellectual side of things. Sure. So it's, Sword and Spade is an apostolate that grew out of Fraternus. Fraternus is a great apostolate that builds the brotherhood of men and gives them a way to initiate their sons into that brotherhood. So it's this intergenerational apostolate that's just trying to answer what we're talking about here with this, the, the man crisis, which is we're totally disconnected. And the, one of the, the first things we should do is let's get them all reconnected. Yeah. I love that word um, apostolate too, because there might be some people who don't know that word. Right. It's the way of being an apostle. It's this It's this way of taking part in our Lord's call, right? Right to, to baptize. To our, so to our Protestant friends, they use the word ministry right. more often. Absolutely. Catholics are more careful in using that word because it's ministry and the mystery of the sacraments is much more connected to the priesthood. Right. right. But it's but the idea of apostolate is we're still being apostolic, That's evangelical. Right. It's our way of being apostles, even, even as lay people in the most ordinary yeah. circumstances That's right. it's of our, our lives. apostolate. Yeah. So out of fraternus was the need to we're sort of entrusting the solution to the problem, mm. meaning men need to form the next generation of men, but what if they're poorly formed? Yeah. And they, they perceive that. We all perceive that we're deformed. So, sword and spade was, you know, the place we really need to begin is in, is in the mind. I mean, mm. that is, 
you have to be thinking clearly in order to act rightly, mm. right? So yeah. one of the problems is not only are we poorly formed, but our habits of, for example, reading, thought, silence are deformed by the screen, right? Mm. The form of the screen itself makes it difficult because for a lot of guys on a screen, they're one click away from a mortal sin yeah, or one click away from just total distraction. Yeah. Whereas Christianity is the religion of, of very much the word of God being contemplated and digested in slowness and silence. And that's how we communicate, mm. right? That's how we talk about the faith from Lexio Divina to just scripture reading to praying the office. It's reading. So Sword and Spade is a magazine meant to help the you know average Joe enter into the intellectual life of the church, but in a way that actually works and talk, speaks through average Joe. That mm-hmm. we're, we really work hard to have men that are in the trenches of being fathers writing Mm. in these articles. And we do a lot, it's a lot of editorial work to bring those to completion in a good quality magazine. But just the act of reading the magazine gets you off the screen and then gets you reading something good. Because how, how many articles do you read in a, in a week on the internet and you forget them? Mm. But what's amazing, you read it on a page and this is backed up by studies. We, we know this to be true. We feel it intuitive. We don't need the studies, mm. but, but they help. They're ex- the exclamation point on what we already know, which is when you read it on a page, it's better Yeah, for you in your mind, and then enacting it. So it comes out quarterly. It's a magazine. So I guess that's periodical. Quarterly is the right word. And we also send out books a few times a year, guides, studies, recommendations, so that, hey, the magazine's a good start. Why don't you go even further? Yeah. And a lot of men, they're like, all right, I want to. And they're like, Catholic books, Google. And it's like, oh gosh, there's a thousand. So it helps to have guides you know, read this. That's and right. they don't have to. You're free to read anything else. But if you want to join us in reading this, read this. Mm. And they're not all just Catholic books. It's what you know, well rounding us in literature and 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 social criticism and theology and philosophy, things like that. How mm-hmm. to think clearly, but how to engage the world in that way. Hence orthodoxy. That's why which we is did that obviously book. Right. so much more than just uh, a man's journey into the church. Right. Because yeah. it all was published before that even happened. Yeah, it's a whirlwind yeah, right, of, of Chesterton's life. So the the title of Sword and Spade is definitely leaning into, you know, men love the idea of the sword, mm. of defending, of fighting, but the soldier who just wields the sword without a desire to return home mm. is dangerous, right? Mm. There's a reason scripture says we will beat our swords into plowshares, yeah, right? Yeah. That the spade is the symbol of the shovel, right? Mm. Working the ground that we can't all just go out fighting and whining on the internet about all of our problems, right? Yeah. Which is not even really fighting. We have to cultivate the place where we are right so that's the spade we can't we have to defend what's worth defending Mm -hmm. but we as men and as fathers especially we have the work of working the soil so that it can receive the seeds of grace the seeds of truth all these things so they'll grow that's our job right the spade is is just as manly a tool as the sword Mm. so that's the uh that's the idea of yeah we're gonna we're gonna go into dismembering the things that are silly and stupid and we needed to defend our our children from you know, false ideologies, errors, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But then also, what are you doing to build the culture of your home and your yeah. community? Yeah. That's the spade. And back to that word remembrance, to, to, to dismember all the heresies and all the, the foolish sort of ways that most of modern society has, has slipped into. Most of us can agree we've slipped into them ourselves. Right. To dismember all of that, but to remember who we the are. perennial truths of who right. we are. What we are, who yeah. God is. Yeah. Jason Craig, you're one of those people who keep me remembering who I am. So thank you for that. And thank you for our uh, our friendship and this time together. We'll do it again as soon as possible. All right, thanks, move Jimmy. to Nashville and uh, we'll, we'll we'll buy Sorry, a big old hundred acres somewhere uh, uh, about you know you're, outside of town. You'll, 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 you'll manage me. I'll manage. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I need a manager. <laughs> God bless you, brother. Peace. Thanks.
You're listening to Give It Up from the 2015 EP by Michelle Mandico called Half Captive. Go stream it on Spotify and everywhere digital music is found. All right, today was a really amazing conversation with Jason. It really is a huge privilege for me to get to introduce him to all of you. And this past summer was a great way of doing that through the bonus book series and the podcast. But to take a deeper dive into Jason's work with St. Joseph's Farm, with Sword and Spade, and even our upcoming collaborative event this Thursday, Reclaim Fatherhood, it really just gets to the part of not only who Jason is and a lot of other great men that I have met through Jason down through the years, but I think it actually gets to the heart of the deepest wound in our society today, which is, of course, fatherlessness. We are living in a fatherless world. And even for those of us who have grown up with dads around, maybe even intact families, there's still often this emotional or even spiritual absence of fatherhood in our lives. And so it does take time. It takes brotherhood. It takes great formation and ultimately grace to be healed of those kinds of wounds. And Reclaim Fatherhood coming up this Thursday is an opportunity for all of you, all of you great Christian men out there who want to go a little bit deeper, better understand what we call anthropology, the church's vision for the human person, specifically for masculinity, but to also band together with like-minded men from all over the country and to dive into some of these principles and to really begin applying them to our own lives. Again, register for as little as $15 by going to reclaimfatherhood.com. Get all of your friends on board. Tell everybody you know, in fact, even if you don't live in the same town, you can get together on Zoom and have little discussions at the end of each talk. It's gonna be primarily Jason Craig and myself giving these talks and then also creating a space for you to reflect. If you're by yourself, you can do that via journal. If you're with friends in person or you got family, you can do it right there in your living room. Or perhaps even for those of you who are scattered out there or even isolated, you can do it through your own personal Zoom platforms, which is great. A lot of amazing ways to engage with this. So for all those details, again, to go to reclaimfatherhood.com. As always, next week, I'll be sitting back down with one of my regular contributors, actually Father Ryan Adorjan, who we had on just a few weeks ago to talk about the danger of thoughtlessness. And you just never know where the conversation with Father Ryan is going to go next. So tune in next week. As always, nothing but love and prayers from Love Good to all of you. We'll see you soon. Peace. Massive thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. If you like this week's episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, share it on social media, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and then join us on the front lines of building a better culture by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Our patrons get all kinds of incredible exclusive content, such as a weekly long-form video of the podcast, a monthly live stream house concert with our artists, and a seasonal package that will raise your standard for music, books, and art forever. Thanks again for tuning in. It's an honor to accompany you as you change the world.